This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now have the scripture reading. Uh, today's passage is taken from Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 43. I'll give you some time to take out your Bible, right? Uh, whether, or, you know, your Bible, physical Bible or electronic Bible, uh, before I invite our sister Samantha to come out to read the passage to us. Um, I will be reading from Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 43. A certain ruler asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife, brothers or sisters, parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'll now pass the time over to uh, Pastor Andrew who will explain today's passage to us. Okay, it's really great to have all of you here today. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we pray for your help to really humble our hearts, to make ourselves low 
so that we will see that salvation is yours and yours alone. And why we truly need to be wholly dependent on you, your mercy, and the death of Jesus on the cross. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, looking at all of you, you're a bit younger, but in the older service, they remember this, right? Or actually, I shouldn't call them the older service, the first service, right? So when I was young, I used to go to this place called the Wee Namki Chicken Rice Restaurant. Do you all know where this is? Okay, you all don't know. Okay. This used to be across from the Novena Catholic Church, and like, it was like this place that people used to go to. You'd eat there, and then basically the tables would be like spilling out, onto the main road. You see the cars at the back there and you know, these big umbrella things, shelters and everything. So I used to go there with my family, my relatives. Now, the Novena Namki chicken rice spills out all the way to the bus stop. I don't know if y'all can remember it, but it goes all the way to the bus stop. Lah. So I'm eating chicken rice there one day, my relatives, and I hear this, what bus number? What bus number? And there was this uh, blind man standing at the bus stop, shouting, what bus number? What bus number? But he wasn't just blind, right? He was also like dressed in really raggedy clothes. He was kind of like a bit smelly. He was making such a racket, right, that uh, all the people around me in the tables, they all looked up and they saw him. But sadly, nobody went to help him. It's almost as if everybody was really embarrassed by this blind, smelly guy, right? They were like, despised him. Even my relatives said, don't bother about this person. Now, in the context of uh, last week's sermon, uh, this kind of resonates with us because Jesus had said in the last verse of last week's sermon, truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So in many ways, what Jesus was saying was that we can only enter into the kingdom of God if we are, in a sense, like this blind man, right? Like a little child, someone who is really pathetic, helpless, and like needy. We need to be crying out to God, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. We need to be relying wholly on Jesus. So the big idea of last week's passage was one of total dependence, total reliance. Now, this here, is, uh, I guess, one of the oldest copies of Luke, chapter 18. Uh, it's called the Bodmer Papyri. You can find it at the Vatican City. Now, what do you notice about, obviously you can't read the Greek, but what do you notice about it that's different from your English Bible? Obviously, for those of you who got hard copy Bibles in front of you or even your phones, you'll notice that there are no verse numbers. Neither are there any titles or subject headings. Neither are there any Verse numbers, there's nothing there. It's just text written, like flowing from one into the other, right? And in a sense, that's the way we're supposed to read today's passage, right? So last week, Jesus told the disciples, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Then it kind of like flows directly. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you put verse... 17 and 18, obviously no verse numbers now, right? I took it out, stripped it out. When you read these two sentences together, Luke has deliberately placed these side by side. If we are paying attention at all, we will see that these are two different approaches to the kingdom of God and inheriting eternal life. One is like a little child, and another one is this certain ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit certain life, uh, eternal life, right? Which is a completely different approach. 
In fact, when I think of the certain ruler, I don't think of a little child. Okay, so what do you think of when you think of the ruler if it's not a little child? Okay, this is who I think of. Okay. Do you all know who this person is? Okay, for the young people, you don't know, you can't. Okay, so he reminds me of someone who's like Elon Musk, right? Someone who's confident, got the swagger about him, gets things done, right? Like nothing is impossible. And this kind of like the attitude that this man has as he comes to Jesus. What must I do, right? It's a doable thing. What, what can I achieve in order to enter into the kingdom of God, inherit eternal life? So Jesus replies, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, if you notice what Jesus is doing here, he's focusing on this issue of good, right? He makes a very strong statement in verse 19, no one is good except God alone. So here is this uh, ruler, he thinks that it's a doable, easy question, what must I do in order to be saved, right, in order to inherit eternal life? But Jesus says basically it's an impossible question that you're asking for because no one is good except God alone. See, in the ruler's mind, as in the mind of many people, we think goodness, we are good in relative to other people, is a relative term. Jesus is trying to focus the man's mind and recognize that good is an absolute term. Only God is good. It's like comparing ourselves to God, right? It's like darkness to the bright sunlight in the midday sun. Nobody, nothing is good except God alone. And so Jesus tells him to, have you done the commandments? Have you committed adultery, murdered or stolen or given false testimony? Have you honored your father and mother completely and comprehensively all the time? So what is the young ruler's reply? All these I've kept since I was a boy, right? All these I've kept since I was a boy. You see, what Jesus has been trying to do is to make him recognize that the question he's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is an impossible question. And he's trying to move the ruler, who's thinking that this is a doable question, to recognizing that it's an impossible question. Because until he recognizes that this is an impossible question, he will not be able to become dependent like a baby and rely and follow Jesus, right? See, what's the man's problem? What is the rich ruler's problem? The rich ruler's problem is that he's confident in his own righteousness. He's like the Pharisee last week. There's all these points of connection with what we studied last week, right? He is confident in his own righteousness. He thinks he can do righteousness to inherit eternal life. And therefore, for him, it's not an impossible question. And therefore, he doesn't become dependent like a baby on Jesus. So what does Jesus reply? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, don't you think this is a bit strange what Jesus says? He says to Jesus, you still lack one thing. But then he tells him three things that he lacks, right? Is it the one thing that he lacks or the three things? Is it the sell, the give, or the follow? Well, whatever it is, Jesus is making very clear to this ruler that as good as he thinks he is, as obedient as he is to the law, he still lacks. He cannot enter the kingdom of God because of one thing. 
So is it the sell, is it the giving, or is it the follow? I think it's basically a progression, right? A progression. He is to sell everything he has to give to the poor, then your treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. Within the context of what we've been studying so far, what he truly lacks is to follow Jesus, right? That is the missing part of the ruler. That's what he's missing in order to gain eternal life. He needs to become like the baby, to rely, depend, and follow Jesus. Now, why then does he say, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven? Now, this is a major theme that we've seen in the book of Luke so far. This theme of the treasure in heaven, if you Google it or if you do a word search in your Bibles, this is a major theme for Luke. We've already seen this in Luke chapter 12, right? Luke talks a lot about treasure in heaven and he always says treasure in heaven is to be preferred to treasure on earth. Earthly treasure must be exchanged in a sense for treasure in heaven. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now what Jesus is really saying here is that earthly treasure to the rich ruler needs to be given up in a sense because it is infinitely more valuable to have treasure in heaven. But what does the ruler do as a result? What does the ruler do in response to Jesus' offer of eternal life and treasure in heaven? When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. See, why was he sad? He was sad because he realized that in a sense, his earthly treasure to him was worth more than the treasure in heaven. He couldn't get the objective of the question, right? Jesus gives him the answer, but he cannot grab and receive and enter into the kingdom of God. So for him, he needs to follow Jesus, right? He needs to become less independent and become dependent on Jesus like the baby and to follow Jesus. But he cannot make that move because his earthly wealth, his earthly riches, are instead of helping him become an obstacle and like someone said, a padlock to the door to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And so this man goes away very, very sad. Now I wonder, if, have you, any of you heard this thing called a monkey trap? Have you heard of a monkey trap? So, oh good, okay. Jonathan's heard of a monkey trap. So what's a monkey trap? A monkey trap is like you get a coconut and then you kind of like make a small hole at the top and then uh, you put into the coconut a big piece of food, like a banana or I don't know, some big thing. The monkey comes along, he sticks his hand into the monkey trap and the thing is, he can't get the food out, right? And so the coconut is usually tied to a tree. And the amazing thing is, even when the human being comes to trap the monkey or to, you know, to, to take the monkey away, the, the monkey still will not let go of the monkey trap because he won't let go of the food that he has and he's stuck to the monkey trap. Now, that in a sense is the predicament of the ruler, isn't it? He can't let go of his earthly wealth in order to follow Jesus. 
He's trapped in a sense to the monkey trap. But he can't let go and receive what he really wants, which is treasure in heaven. Now, when we think about this, we think monkeys are really stupid, right? And this ruler, also very stupid. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So actually, the reality, right, is that we are all monkeys and we are all like the ruler. He is not the exception. He is the rule, right? We are all rich. You know, you, know, you compare ourselves, okay, so you know, later on we'll make an announcement about Batam. You compare to us, to all the people in Batam, all the neighboring countries, we are rich. We are like the rich ruler. This is us. And what does Jesus say? For us, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus chooses the largest camel that they are familiar with in the first century in the Middle East, which is a camel, and the smallest opening, which is an eye of a needle, and he says it is easier for the largest animal to go to the smallest opening than it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that means it must be impossible, right, for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, some of you may have read in your study Bibles or even, I know there's some uh, books which uh, I guess we read to our children, which uh, some people say, you know, actually there's a gate somewhere in Jerusalem which is called the Eye of a Needle where the camel comes in and bows down on his knees, you take away all his luggage and it's kind of like, kneels its way into the door, right? Now, that's fake news. That's a myth. Okay, that, that, that suggestion only came about 1,000 years after Luke was written. And no one's ever found this gate called the eye of a needle. The impossibility, right, is what Jesus is saying here. In our modern context, it's like saying, you know, it is more likely for the blue whale to enter through the eye of a needle that is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the blue whale is like the biggest animal that we know of. The tongue of the blue whale is bigger, no, sorry, it's about the same size or bigger than an elephant. Okay, that gives you a size of how big a blue whale is, right? Can you imagine a blue whale fitting through the eye of a needle? That's just impossible. So then, the disciples say, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Because here was a man in the ancient world who should have been, in their eyes, in the kingdom of God. He was both rich and religious. He kept the commandments and he was blessed by God. Now, if this person couldn't go in, then nobody can go in, right? Then Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. See, at the end of the day, salvation from beginning to end, is God's work. We think, oh, you know, God sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. Oh, okay, that's his work. But my work is faith. But what Jesus is saying here is, even our faith, the softening of our hearts, the removing of the obstacle and the padlock of wealth and security, that is God's work. God does the impossible for us. God makes it possible for us to follow Jesus and become dependent upon him. So many years ago, uh, my father was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer. You know, prostate cancer is, 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 is a bad thing. Anybody tells you you're cancer of any kind, 
that will kind of freak you out, right? Now, in spite of the fact that my dad had prostate cancer, some good came out of it. Because of his diagnosis of prostate cancer, I remember during that time that he let go of his monkey trap of money and of wealth and earthly riches and realized that actually security cannot come from earthly riches. At the end of the day, he recognized that he needed to humble himself and he became baptized and decided to follow Christ, right? And as a result, he gained much, much more than his earthly riches, right? He became infinitely richer because he received treasure in heaven. And so for us today, if we recognize that actually God is the one who does the work of saving, God is the one who takes away the idolatry of wealth and riches from us, then what we need to do is we need to pray, right? So, so often, what do we pray for? We pray for more things, right? We pray for more material things. We pray for more stuff. But I wonder whether we ever pray, God, you know, remove from me idolatry of wealth, the security of riches. Day by day, help me to be only reliant on your mercy, to trust in you alone, and to be wholly dependent like a baby or a blind person on Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what God does, right? God is the one who does the work in us, not we do the work ourselves. Now the passage then goes on. Oh, sorry. Okay, God is the one. Okay, I got these diagrams. Okay, right. So God is the one who is the one who removes all these obstacles, right? He is the one who then allows us, the rich, to follow Jesus. Now, what happens next? Jesus then took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Now, we've already said that we cannot understand the units in the book of Luke independently. They need to be read in conjunction with one another. They kind of need to be read together with one another. In the earlier section, it was all about the kingdom of God. And so for the disciples, one of the problems that they may have was they're thinking they're really, really close to Jerusalem now. In the next verse, they are in Jer- Jericho. Jericho is like just like, I don't know, Johor to Singapore is really close, right? So they may be thinking, okay, Jesus told us, you know, we, we've given all these things up for Jesus. The kingdom of God is coming to us. That's going to happen really soon. We go to Jerusalem at the next stop. We get it all. The kingdom of God comes to us. But Jesus wants to make clear to them that that's not going to happen in Jerusalem, right? The kingdom of God is not going to be given to them at that point. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? The Son of Man, Jesus, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. There is a certainty to what's going to happen. It's not a possibility. It's not a probability. This will happen, right? There's a divine necessity to it. We see this in this repeated word, will, right? Will, will, will. This will happen because Jesus will fulfill what God has promised in his word through the prophets. Now, we see this even more if we kind of look at translations of the Bible which are more word for word. In the first five verbs or the first verse, it's all passive verbs. 
You know, passive verbs is where somebody does something to you, right? He will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be mistreated. He will be spat upon. Now, who causes this to happen? Jesus doesn't cause this to happen. God causes these things to happen to Jesus. Now, this is really remarkable, right? Because if you think about it, God is the one who does everything. We already saw that He is the one who saves the rich. He begins the work of salvation in people's hearts, in the work of faith in people's hearts, because He is acting to remove obstacles. At the same time, He is the one who will make Jesus suffer, make Jesus die, and make Jesus rise again. It's all God's work. And as we come to the last part of this section, God does something else. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They did not know what he was talking about. Now, its meaning was hidden from them. Who hides this meaning from the disciples? It is God who hides this this meaning from the disciples. So in a sense, God deliberately blinds the seeing eyes and the hearts of the disciples until Luke chapter 24, when they finally understand everything again. Now, the reason that we are told this is linked to what follows after this, right? Because here we have the disciples who can see, but are blind. But in verse 35, we are, we're given a person who is blind, but actually can see. As Jesus approached Jericho, remember this town which is just north of Jer- Jerusalem? A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want you to notice something. Here is a real blind blind guy, and he asked the seeing people, what is happening? And what did they say? Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, right? Now, what does it mean, Jesus of Nazareth? So here's the map of first century uh, Israel. Jerusalem is here, capital. Way, way in the north is Nazareth. So what they're basically saying is, Jesus of Pulau Tokong is passing by, right? Jesus of this small, little, obscure town in the north is passing by. They see Jesus, but all they see is Jesus of this small village in the north. But what does the blind man see? He calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man might have no eyes to see, but he sees Jesus more clearly than the seeing crowd. In fact, he sees Jesus so clearly that as readers of Luke, he is able to see what we, the reader, have known about Jesus since chapter 1. He's able to see what only the angel was able to see. So when the Virgin Mary was pregnant, the angel Gabriel came, and what does he say? In verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, here was a blind man who sees what the angel sees, who sees what we, the reader, knows. And he has no eyes. The reason is because, in a sense, 
God has given him eyes of the heart to see who Jesus is. He can see what the crowd cannot see. And more than that, he can see what the rich ruler could not see. Remember, I said all these units are connected together, right? The rich ruler could only see Jesus as the good teacher. So here we see three groups of people in the three units. The rich man, the crowd, and the disciples. All of them have eyes, but all of them cannot see. Well, here we have a blind man who has eyes of the heart to see. Now, someone has said this thing, which I agree on. In a sense, he is able to see and have doctrinal faith, right? And doctrinal means knowledge. He has knowledge to see the reality of who Jesus really is. He is the Davidic Messiah, the son of David, the inheritor of 2 Samuel 7, the eternal king. But that's not the only faith that the blind man has. As Jesus approached Jericho, the blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this is very different from the rich ruler. The rich ruler is rich and confident. He's like the Elon Musk. He asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? The beggar is different. He has nothing. He realizes he has nothing. He goes to Jesus. He doesn't say, what can I do so that I can see again? He asked Jesus, right, can you do something for me? Have mercy on me. And so here we see something which reminds us again of last week's sermon, right? Here we see someone who reminds us of the tax collector. Remember the tax collector went to the temple and what did he cry out next to the Pharisee? Have mercy on me, a sinner. So the blind man has eyes to see who Jesus is. The blind man is different from the rich man. He's dependent on Jesus. Have mercy on me. You do something for me, not I do something for myself. Lastly, if you notice as well, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to shut up, keep quiet, be quiet, right? But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, again, we are reminded of what we learned last week. Here was someone who had persistent faith. He knew who Jesus was. He wouldn't let other people keep him down, right? To lose heart. He kept persisting and crying out to Jesus all the more in the face of resistance, all the more in the face of these people asking him to keep quiet. Now, as we look at these people, right, and we see all these elements in the blind man, we see that actually he is so, so different from the rich ruler, right? The blind man, in a sense, starts out with nothing. But at the end of this section, this unit, Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God. How different he is from the rich ruler. You see, the blind beggar could see who Jesus was. He cried out to mercy to Jesus. He was persistent even though the crowd wanted to stop. In the end, he received his sight. He followed Jesus. He entered into the kingdom of God. He received eternal treasure in heaven. But the rich man was rich and he was religious. If anybody should have been saved, it should have been this rich guy, right? But actually, because of his riches, he could not follow Jesus. It was like a padlock, an obstacle to his faith. And as a result, 
But the end of this unit, we never know, right? Maybe he did accept Jesus one day. He doesn't have the eternal riches. He doesn't have eternal life or entry into the kingdom of God. So we started out today with my experience at the Winamki chicken rice, right? There's a blind man shouting, what bus number? What bus number? It was clear from the people in the tables around me that when we see someone like that, someone who's a beggar, someone who's blind, they were embarrassed by him, they were despised him. They were repulsed by this blind beggar. But the irony is Jesus actually says, we are not to be embarrassed by this blind beggar in many ways. We are to follow his example, right? He is like a model for us in our relationship with God. When we come before God, we have to come before him like this blind beggar. We have nothing to offer God. Even the faith that we have comes because God works within us. We need to keep coming to Jesus knowing that He is our King, He is our Saviour, and keep coming to Him day after day, week after week, year after year. And we need to keep reminding ourselves that at the end of the day, salvation is not our work. There's, you know, like If you think of how much do we contribute to our own salvation, it's not like 1% or 10%, it's like 0%. God is the one who does all the work for us. So the only way we can come to God is to be like the blind beggar, to be dependent on Jesus, to be persistently coming to Him, never to be like Elon Musk, right? But to continually see our daily need before God, to pray to God to remove all the obstacles of pride and security in our life and to keep relying on Jesus day after day. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to pray for ourselves pray that we would remove all the obstacles of pride, of security, of idolatry, of holding on to earthly things. Dear Father, we come before you as those who are rich. And in our richness, we can be proud, we can feel self-confident and secure. We pray that you may be working in our hearts to remove every stain of that uh, false understanding, that you may move us to being like the helpless baby, the helpless blind man, the blind beggar, who rightly has faith alone, faith which sees the reality of who your son is and what he has done for us, the reality of our own sinful condition, that as we go on day by day, we will always be dependent and reliant and persistent in our faith. Dear Father, we pray for each and every one of us here today that truly we will enter the kingdom of God because you have done the impossible in us. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the sermon. Uh, lots to think about um, and ponder upon. Uh, we will not have... Uh, the reflection and discussion in view of time because uh, we have uh, something on at uh, no, the church has something on at 2pm um, but uh, do take some time to reflect on these two questions uh, even in, during your lunch time okay, the first question is actually what obstacles are there 
me being totally dependent in and following Jesus like the blind man? And the second question is, how am I treating my earthly riches and wealth? And what do I need to pray to God to help me let go of them to in order to follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Okay, so these are the two questions that um, uh, to reflect upon um, as uh, throughout this week. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.